Hey everybody, this is Kristen Kraft from Crafted Coaching and you're listening to the No One Leads Alone podcast for trailblazers and education who love learning from other leaders across the country so you can take advantage of their experiences and duplicate their efforts in your school or district. Stop feeling alone and left to figure things out on your own. Let's grow. No One Leads Alone podcast is powered by Generation Esports and Gaming Concepts, a video game curriculum for schools. Students love competition video gaming, so it's perfect for interest-based learning. Educators know that esports is already capturing some of the more high-risk and less engaged students in our schools, but what are we doing once they're in our classrooms? By focusing on three mental health determinants of self-esteem, self-efficacy, and life skills, teachers can engage students in authentic and engaging moments of preventative mental health. Gaming Concepts is a series of video game courses for schools, is an educator's guide to teaching college and career-ready skills, social-emotional learning, and digital citizenship through the lens of video games. The STEM-approved curriculum includes 81 lessons complete with lesson overviews, content standards, materials needed, and directions. Focusing on scholastic gaming, competitive gaming, and social gaming has never been easier to implement in schools by experienced, novice, or just those who love gamers. The course can be taught for a half a credit or a full credit and is appropriate for middle and high school. For more information, check it out at www.highschoolesportsleague.com slash gaming concepts. Hey, hey there, Ed Leaders. I am so excited to introduce you to our guest today, Kayla Tucker, who is the owner of Kayla Elise Coaching Services which is a company that helps female K-12 principals to effectively manage stress and prioritize health and well-being without a dependency on time management hacks, exercise, or delegation. As a school psychologist by trade with years of experience in the online wellness space, Kayla is an expert on stress management for school leaders using a unique framework that is founded in psychology. She helps school leaders learn how to bounce back from day-to-day demands with ease while keeping personal sustainability at the forefront. I know you're going to enjoy listening to her today. Well, hey, hey, hey there, listeners. It's Kristen with Crafted Coaching. And today I have a very special guest on here. Her name is Kayla Tucker. She is the owner of Kayla Elise Coaching Services, which is a company that helps female K-12 principals to effectively manage stress and prioritize health and well-being without a dependency on time management hacks, exercise, or delegation. As a school psychologist by trade with years of experience in the online wellness space, Kayla is an expert on stress management for school leaders. Using a unique framework that is founded in psychology, she helps school leaders learn how to bounce back from the day-to-day demands with ease while keeping personal sustainability at the forefront. Welcome, Kayla. Where were you when I was an administrator for 20 years? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for the warm welcome. And I have heard that so many times. So many principals are like, I wish that I knew you (laughs) before I quit or when I was experiencing X, Y, and Z. So, yes. I am so excited to talk to you today because I think what you're doing is so very important. And I am a classic example of one of those administrators that had just hit complete and total burnout. Mm -hmm. And now, would I go back and do it differently? I don't think so. Uh, But I'm so 
I know that I've done the work just having left and how can I help people to create sustainability, which is like what I think you're all about is we've got to create that, especially t- when it's so tough right now. So I'm just so excited for our listeners to, to, to hear what you have to say and what you offer to yeah. our leaders because no one leads alone and you can be part of that of not leading alone. So if we can provide that for somebody, I think that's a great thing. Absolutely. I agree. Super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. So why don't you start out with your current context of what you're doing right now? We know that you have your Kayla Elise coaching services. And is that all you do? And how did you come to do this? Ooh, such a great question. So (laughs) (laughs) no, this is not all that I do. Like you mentioned, I am a school psychologist by trade. I do still practice school psychology, but I am someone who is passionate about multiple things within education. And I know that, or I knew when I first started my business that I had a skill set that a lot of other educators did not. Um, So like I said, I'm a school psychologist by trade, which afforded me lots of different experiences and training. But even in addition to that, having had my own burnout experience very early on in my career in education, there are certain things that that I learned Um, in undergrad about human development. And then, of course, based on my school psychology training in terms of social and emotional competence and resilience and all things psychology. And I actually started to take those things that I learned Mm -hmm. and apply them to myself. I learned them within the context of how to support children and young adults. And I was just kind of like, well, they're humans and so are we. So Mm -hmm. why can't I use some of those same things for myself? Um, So that is how kind of the business came about. I always say that I am someone who cares about the kids and the adults in buildings. So I love the fact that I still get to work very directly, like on the grounds with kids and doing work for kids. But then I also love the fact that I get to work with adults in my business and I get to support um, women in school leadership. It tends to be principals that I tend to attract the most, but women in school leadership who want to lead differently and who could benefit from the framework that I have created based on life experiences and just certain things that come very naturally to me that don't come naturally to them. I'm grateful to be able to to do this kind of work and to be able to support school leaders in managing stress, in boosting their own resilience, and in really leveraging social and emotional competence for themselves to first and foremost be healthier for themselves mm-hmm. because everybody deserves health and well-being and to be able to prioritize that and then the byproduct of that is just the the trickle down or the domino effect that comes um, for their students and their staff as a result of them doing those things for themselves. Oh my gosh, yes, I love this so much. So you you have been in education for how many years? This is my oh gosh, this is my sixth year in education. Sixth year, mm-hmm. I, I mean you you speak as if you've been a part of education for so so long. I mean I was in it for. <laughs> 27 years. And I feel like you and I met on Twitter, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And yep. I just saw what you were doing. And I'm like, you are doing some great things. I want to know what you're doing. And that's how we connected. So again, just a little shout out for having a professional learning network. I think it's so important. Absolutely. Um, but so you've been at it six years, but you you just sound so uh, experienced and cultured to me in regards to this. So I think I do need to dig a little bit into 
you talk about your own burnout, yet you've been in it for six years. Mm-hmm. Where Give us that story and that background. I'm really curious to know, you know, something led you here. I think everything happens <laughs> for a reason, even your most difficult times. So talk about that a little more in detail. Sure. That, and that's such a good question because, well, one, thank you. (laughs) I think that in a lot of ways I have experienced a lot of things in a, in a relatively short period of time. I'm very much so a trial by fire kind of girl, whether that has been by choice or (laughs) by force in the past, but that is how I have learned so much about myself within education and also learned so much about the landscape of the field at large. So when I first started in education, I um, was practicing what I call school psychology light. I was not a school psychologist yet, (laughs) but I was, I did, I just had my bachelor's degree in psychology. I worked in early childhood education alongside a school psychologist. And she is the person who kind of really opened my eyes to the world of school psychology and so How? you let me let me stop you there. You weren't yeah. going to necessarily be a school psych at all. You you went into psychology. Is that was your childhood dream to be in schools? No. So my childhood <laughs> dream <laughs> was to work with kids. And of course, like being, right. you know, whatever, elementary, middle school, you just there's a certain um I think level of limitation that we have around what is out there. And I feel like I I grew up in an area where I was exposed to a lot of different people with a lot of different careers, but I also didn't know what most of my parents' friends did for a living. I knew the ones who were doctors. I knew the ones who were lawyers. I knew the ones who were teachers. Like that was kind of the extent. So naturally I'm like, I want to work with kids. I want to be a pediatrician. Cause Mm. that just, that makes sense. That's just what came to mind. Long story short, I figured out that I did not actually want to be a pediatrician because I didn't want to be a doctor, but I was like, I still want to work with kids. And I, like you said, had had my degree in psychology and knew that I wanted to stick with that field, but there are so many different subfields of psychology sure. and yeah. I did not want to jump into anything too quickly. I wanted to, to experience different things. So I actually... Um, had the opportunity to take a position at a research lab where there were lots of different projects. So I I basically got exposed to a lot of different things that I could do within the field with that okay. one job. So they would put okay. me on different projects, partially because they needed help, but also partially because I wanted to kind of see what was going on in that particular project that my primary project ended up being the one at that early childhood education school. And that's when I realized like, oh, education is this is how I'm going to bridge this gap. This is how I'm going to work with kids and do what I want to do like in terms of psychology, because I did really enjoy that. So no, long story short, my dream was not to work in education, but I definitely feel like this is 100% the path that I'm supposed to be on. I love that. Okay, so let's go ahead then and take us through, you, you talked about kind of your current context. What what is your own story of burnout having, you know, only been at this six years as you, as we kind of talked about earlier, what, what, how did that come to be? So we know that you decided, I want to work with kids. I want to work, you know, do all these things. And you kind of found your direction for psychology. So what was your personal story? 
I think one thing <laughs> that is kind of both a, a blessing and a curse in terms of just my personality is I'm a very driven person and I am disciplined almost to a fault. So my boss actually knew me before I took this job. So she already knew what she could expect to get from me. They put me on this primary project. I was doing very good work along with my partner. Um, the two of us were just handling things, I think, much better than anyone could have anticipated. Like I mentioned, the lab had a few different projects. So at, at some point, some of the other projects were shorthanded. So we started to get pulled to those mm. other projects. And for the most part, I, you know, my first thought was, well, this is great. Like this is I can my do it first, all. Yeah. And this is my first venture into kind of realizing that this is generally speaking the kind of work that I want to do. She sees this great potential. She she sees that I do good work. This is going to be great for my resume. Like all these different things that are going through my head. And I'm like, I can do like I can do this. I can take it. And then slowly but surely, <laughs> probably a year, somewhere between the year and the year and a half mark at that job is when I realized I can't do this. Uh -huh. Not that I'm incapable, but the way that I'm operating right now is not something that I can sustain. At one point, I was driving 60 miles one way <gasps> to one of the locations for a separate project and having to juggle all of these different things. I remember pulling up in the one of the sites, um, well, all of the sites were for schools. There were multiple schools. I remember pulling up to one of the schools one day mm. after having been in my car for almost two and a half hours and backing into my parking space, turning my car off and realizing like literally in that moment that I had a raging headache, my shoulders were tight, my mood was terrible. And it was like, 7.45 in the morning. And I knew that I had to go into that building and do what I was there to do. And, and turn it on. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I, you know, I don't think, I don't think this is going to work. So it's when I feel like mentally I had already started to experience some of the symptoms of burnout, but it was when it started to affect me physically when I was having these headaches and this tension to the point where I was kind of in pain in my body and messing with my sleep pattern and all of these things that I was like, okay, I, I've got to do something different. Um, yeah. and long story short, I ended up going to my boss kind of in a very uncomfortable space because who wants to have that kind of conversation? Right. And I basically just explained to her how I didn't think that I could do all of these things anymore. And she said a lot of things, most of which I don't remember. But the one thing that I do remember that has stuck with me is her saying, this is just what you do. Like, this is just how it goes. And then she, you know, told me some stories about, you know, when she was my age and the things that she was kind of dealing with. Like, it was basically, this is par for the course. And I decided in that moment that that wasn't going to be par for the course for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody else who had done anything differently. Like I said, my boss, who was also kind of my mentor at that point, obviously didn't do things <laughs> the way that I wanted to. She was, you know, grinning and bearing it. And I just knew that I didn't want to do that. You didn't want to do that. Yeah. And I did not want to get to the point where I was so burnt out that I left. 
Yes. What I felt like I had finally, not finally, I didn't want to leave what I felt like I knew was what I was supposed to be doing mm-hmm. because of the way that I was doing it. So I had to accept that I had a certain level of control, a certain amount of responsibility, even if it made other people uncomfortable. It was my job to one, figure out how to do things differently for myself. Um, and then two, once I figured out how to do that and saw that there were so many other people around me who did not know how to do that, I felt like it became my responsibility to help them as well. Okay. So I got to push pause on here for a second. Mm-hmm. So many things when you were talking. So you stayed with that position. Mm-hmm. You didn't quit, but you were near burnout. And you talked about two things again that I want you to repeat. The first thing was once you realized that you didn't want this to be par for the course, what did you say? Those two things. I said that I could never. I think (laughs) you're like, one, I didn't want it to be par for the course. Yeah. I didn't want it to be par for the course. And I think was the second thing I said that I wanted to do things differently, even though I hadn't seen anyone else do that. Yes. And I think I just wanted to kind of bring those like to the forefront again, Mm -hmm. because I think this is so powerful because as you were talking in my head, I was thinking to myself, oh, well, then she quit because she wasn't going to have that be par for the course. Because I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, Kayla, but I think we are, we are in two different generations, right? Mm-hmm. What, generation, <laughs> what generation are you? Technically, I'm a millennial, which is what? Gen Y. Is that yeah. Gen Y? And now we have Gen so. Z, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a Gen Xer. So, gotcha. so I just turned 50. So, but what I see, and and especially in education, and this is where I thought you were going to go with it at first, is I think the generations now, and I don't know who's in their early twenties. I'm, I'm, is that Gen Z maybe? Yeah. Uh Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think so. And I think that they are saying, well, I'm not going to do this. And they are leaving. Yep. Because they can find other jobs. Yep. So there isn't this calling of, I'm just going to stick with it because I know there, again, I think you're a little bit of an old soul and a good thinker (laughs) as far as I'm going to make this different for myself and it might make other people uncomfortable. I think Mm -hmm. that's pretty genius thinking for the Gen Y, you know, I think that you were like, I'm going to stick with it. Whereas I think, but a lot of people aren't. Yeah. Because they'll just go elsewhere. So I think Mm -hmm. that's why we're seeing this, a lot of people leaving education. And frankly, it's usually a lot of younger ones that are getting Mm -hmm. out quicker than the older ones, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do think you raise a good point about just the the difference in thought process amongst, even from Gen X to Gen Y, Gen Y to Gen Z. I'm also very much so, and this might be the mental health advocate in me, but I'm also not going to, something is going to have to change. If I'm not leaving the actual job, I'm changing Mm -hmm. how I operate. My bottom line is always going to be the same, which is I need to be able to prioritize my health and my well-being in this role. And if that requires me to leave, then I leave. But if I can figure out how to stay and do that, then that's what I'll do. I, I just love that you said that because I think that's where a lot of people are, say in my age group, you know, we've got a lot of, you know, especially you're working with principals and things like that. And mm-hmm. I think leadership is very important in schools. And I don't want to see you and I are both doing some similar work and that I don't, I want to provide something for them 
to where they're not leaving. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't want good, good leaders to leave. I left for my own, you know, mental health purposes and, mm-hmm. and I needed to, I had been in it for 20 years. It was time, but I also am just giving back to, to that group is what I feel like, but I mm-hmm. don't want people to leave. And I think even teachers or principals or whoever it is, who is helping them to figure out what you figured out on your own? Mm-hmm. I yeah. I just, I love it. Like if I'm going to be here and I know I love teaching and oftentimes I hear, you know, principals, you got to take care of your teachers. So teachers, you take care of your kids, right? Yep. But no one's ever having the conversation around, but what do I need to do for myself? Yep. Correct. And we, we expect other people to do it for us, even as adults. Mm-hmm. It, Kids can't often do that work, right? So we've Mm -hmm. got to take care of them. But as adults, whether we've been in the profession one year or 25 years, we actually do, like you said, have this control. Mm -hmm. What can I control? What can I change to create sustainability in a job that I actually do love? Mm -hmm. Because I think all educators do love their jobs. They're just getting really stressed out and in the weeds. And how, how wonderful for you to figure that out so early on in your career and then pay it forward. Yeah. To try I feel, to help other people. I'm very it's a calling I, for you. I can tell. Yeah. And I hesitate to to tell people that I'm grateful for the experience, but I'm also the kind of person that believes that everything happens for a reason as cliche as that is. I would I never wish burnout on someone else. I would never wish some of the things that I have experienced on someone else or on myself. I don't know if, if I could change things. I'm not sure that I would leave them the same, but right. I do think that I had that experience so that I could tap into mm-hmm. the skills that I had in a different way to be able to do this work to help other people. I 100% agree. I think every time we go through something hard, that's just part of our story. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what gives us empathy to figure out how to do pay it forward and how to give back because you, you, you don't want other people to go through what you've been through or if they're there, how do you help them get out of it? Exactly. I think you're just, you're, you're speaking my language here. (laughs) So you talk about that you wanted to figure out how to take control of things so that you didn't burn out but you don't necessarily do that with a time management hack or exercise or delegate, which are often the things we hear mm-hmm. as leaders in education. So give us an idea of what it is that you started to figure out that you like to help people figure out. Yeah. So like I said, I I really did start using what I already knew. So the things that I I work with clients through, the foundation of the framework of my program, all of that is a cleaned up, streamlined version of what I did for myself. And at that point, I'm like, one thing I know like the back of my hand is human development. And another thing I know like the back of my hand is psychology. And I know how these things can work together because like, the, the problem at the root of burnout and stress is a human development, a human experience problem. So Mm. I started to think about what I knew about human development, what I knew about psychology, what I knew about um, psychological resilience, all of these different things and kind of piecing them together and experimenting with the exact recipe or formula for those things. So I think 
in large part, what I help clients to do is use psychology. And I always say that I think, Mm. and of course I'm biased for a variety of reasons, but (laughs) another part of the reason, in addition to just psychology being my thing, another huge reason why I think that is the most effective and the 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 choice that makes sense for managing stress is one because you are always going to have your mind with you. You don't need external things for delegation. Yeah. You need somebody to delegate to. For a time management hack, you're going to need some time to learn how to implement that into your routine. My, or even, my planner that I finally figured yeah. out after 25 years of, I mean, I have a hundred thousand planners and this one has <laughs> finally stuck. Yeah. So little things like that. But yeah, you have to rely on it. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And just not the goal is to get to the root of the problem as quickly as possible so that one, Mm. you can mitigate the burnout if you're not completely there. And two, to kind of stop the bleeding. I say that a lot. Like I think it's so important for us if if you have a solution to a problem, let's cut through the fluff. Let's get to what we actually need. Uh-huh. To be able to move in the direction that we want to go. So I like we don't have time to bring in other people to train them so that we can delegate stuff to them. We don't have right. time for you to learn a new productivity or time management hack and figure out how that fits into the flow of the day. Let's right. use the things that you're always going to have with you, whether you're in the car with your kids or you're in your building doing a walkthrough or you're home <laughs> late at night working way past the hours that you should be working. You're always going to have your brain with you. And if we can learn these specific skills, um, that's going to be a game changer. So that's reason number one. Like you're, That's something that you can always tap into. And my second reason is because stress is an internal phenomenon. A lot of times mm-hmm. when people are using time management and productivity hacks or delegation, those are things that help you to manage the stressful situations. But then you still have to address the effect of the stress on your body, the internal effect. So a lot of times I talk to (laughs) prospective clients and clients who are like, I'm doing all of these things that are working well, but I still don't feel relief. And I'm like, well, what are you actually doing that your body understands? What language are you speaking? Your body doesn't know that you're delegating all of these things because at the end of the day, they're still on your mind. Oh my gosh. All of these other hacks, like whatever you're doing is all external. It's helping you to manage the stressful situation. But the stress is something that happens inside of your body. That's a biological thing. So you need to speak the language that your body understands and lots of things flow from the mind. So, you know, our brain tells every part of our body, what to do and when to do it. So that's like the other reason why I think um, I, I love the the vehicle that I use to help school leaders to learn how to manage stress because it truly does get to the root of the actual problem. Oh my gosh. I'm just sitting here like the human development with the psychology, not the external, looking at the internal I had a conversation with somebody the other day about, because we were talking about, well, it was a doctor. We were talking about mental health in schools, mental health for, for teachers, for administrators, for kids, and how the problem is so large and so s- systemic because we were telling teachers or we're telling principals or we're telling superintendents, Hey, you need to go in and fix this mental health problem, this mm-hmm. mental health crisis. Yet we aren't a Kayla. 
We don't have the human development and the psychology background Mm -hmm. to take on that monster. So we're going to have to start and do things differently. Yep. And that's the piece that I wish I would have been more understanding with mm-hmm. is what did I need to do for me? Because I think as principals, and I think this is why this is your, this is your clientele a lots of times <laughs> is because we're told, take care of your people, take care of your people, take yep. care of your people. And you do that at the expense mm-hmm. of your own mental health mm-hmm. of your personal life. I mean, I came home so depleted and when you're in high school, you're never home. Mm-hmm. So oh, I'd yeah. be getting home at 10 p.m. every night, mm-hmm. barely having a conversation with any of my children, my spouse, even myself, mm-hmm. and get up the next day, show up and do it all again. Yep. And we show up with a smile on our face mm-hmm. because I think the leader sets the temperature of the building. And if I come in and I'm not in a good moment or a good place, I guarantee the day is going to go downhill. Exactly. So you always try to go up, you try to go in with that strength. It's kind of like when somebody dies and you know, you're like, I've got to be the strength until I can go fall apart. Mm -hmm. But I think in this pandemic, what has made it worse is we've not even had the time to go fall apart. Correct. Yes. So let's go through this now of Mm -hmm. now we're in this pandemic and we have been for, you know, a long time Mm -hmm. that has been, the job was already hard. Yes. Now we add all the other stuff to it. I know for me personally, that includes things like, well, I was building a $90 million building at the time, Mm -hmm. a bond. That in and itself is tough, Mm -hmm. but tear down the school in front of the building that's being built behind, tear that down. Pandemic happens in March. Mm -hmm. So then we move everybody out. We tear down the building. We're building the new building in the back. We don't even have a place to go. We're supposed to open in the fall of 2020, which is Mm -hmm. right in the middle of the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. then we have to go through and say, we don't even know what our protocols are in this school. So we've got to go and develop all of that. We're going to be on a hybrid Mm -hmm. and we're going to give you a month to do all your PD to get ready for that, not to mention the abusiveness that we're taking from the anti-maskers or CRT or Mm -hmm. all the other things that we're seeing, Mm -hmm. it'll cause you to hit some burnout. Oh, yeah. I am not alone in my administrative friends. And then I think we're losing really good people as a result of that. So- in your experience, I don't, how long have you been kind of doing this coaching thing? So officially, <laughs> yeah, I just came up on the year mark actually last week of offering my coaching program. So it has been one full year, which is crazy. I feel like that time has really flown by. I feel like yeah. I did a lot of work supporting educators unofficially before then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, technically one year, about a year. So you probably started to see this need when the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. much more so. Yeah. That's when I saw the spike for sure. Yeah. So what, what kinds of things were you seeing and how, how did you kind of start offering your services before you were really even offering your services? Because I I, think think it's good for other leaders. My whole thing on this podcast is no one leads alone is I want other leaders to hear, oh my gosh, it's okay that I had this experience. Like Mm -hmm. it's okay that it's bad. There's a lot of, I think we do a lot of um, comparing to each other 
and thinking mm-hmm. that it must be all rosy for them over there because they're mm-hmm. tweeting out how great life is. Yeah, you know? I think, yes, exactly. It is very much so a lot of that. I think one of the things about my role in schools that I am incredibly grateful for that I didn't even really realize was a privilege until maybe a couple years ago is even though like I started off working in early childhood development since then have left that position. I'm now an actual school psychologist. Every role that I have had in education has been some sort of a one of one or a one of two role in buildings. Mm -hmm. And it allows me to always be like, internally external, if that makes sense. So I'm, I've am i never been in a classroom with kids all day long. I'm always one of the people that's in and out of classrooms, in and out of meetings, in and out of right. interactions with school leaders and administrators and teachers and kids. So I kind of get this bird's eye view of sorts of what lots of different people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. And I think that was my first kind of direct insight into the experience of school leaders, just seeing what they were dealing with on a day-to-day. Everybody right. everybody kind of lives in their own bubble of sorts. Like teachers are trying to manage their classroom and their kids. Administrators are trying to do their jobs, but I got to see everybody's bubble. So I think to answer your question of a large part of how I kind of unofficially started helping people with this was one, a lot of people started to realize that I didn't move the same way that they did. And I was happy when I was going home at the end of the day, I wasn't exhausted. Life was good. And I think just in me leading by example, certain people started asking questions about how like your work is always at this caliber and you don't spend extra hours here. You don't seem to be affected by X, Y, and Z how are you pulling this off basically? Um, So that is in a way how I kind of started to experiment with how I could help other people with the skill. And that's honestly when I realized that other people didn't have the skill um, or all of the skills, I should say, to be able to put those things into place to to do that for themselves. Because we don't have your background. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't have the human development and psychology background. We might have gotten a class or two as we were mm-hmm. going through, but what are administrators getting trained on? You know, we're we're getting trained on the school improvement plan. I've been in trained on AVID. I've been trained on mm-hmm. literacy first. I've been trained on capturing kids' heart. I've, there's all these things that we're trained on, but it has zero to do with true human development and psychology. And mm-hmm. that is the piece I think we're missing in schools right now. Yeah, I think a bit, I mean, yes, you definitely hit the nail on the head with that. I The way that I often describe it is school leaders, whether you're a principal, a head of school, a school director, an AP, whatever your title may be, if you're an administrator, nine times out of 10, the training that you went through to get to that mm-hmm. position involved a lot of very explicit teaching and support around those hard skills that are directly related to the role, directly related to your job description, even your PD experiences after you get the role. The yep. maintenance is based on what you need to do as it mm-hmm. relates to your job description. Here's how you do evaluations. Exactly. Here's how you provide feedback. Like mm-hmm. here's how you go through a bond. Like you'd even take classes on, you know, bond issues and things like that. There's mm-hmm. nothing that says 
here's how you take care of yourself. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like even taking it a, a step back, even if it's not specifically psychology or if it's not specifically human development, there is so much, the the vast majority of what you are given is information to help you to be a good leader. And there's very little to nothing provided to help you to sustain your leadership. Yes. And that I've even noticed a difference in leadership because I started, you know, 20 years ago in leadership and boy, the job looks very different Yep, than my last five years of leadership mm-hmm. because of all of the additions that, you know, we are now responsible for. And, you know, even in the pandemic, we're still doing evaluations. I never yep. understood why we were doing some things that we were doing. Um, and that's at no fault of anybody. It's just, you know, the state says you do this. So mm-hmm. your district office tells you to do this. So you do this. But I think what it's created is a very unsustainable career. Mm-hmm. The the um, demands continue to pile on when nothing is changing to support the people who are required to meet the demands. And right. yeah, exactly. It's exactly what you said. It is creating something that is unsustainable. And then we're supposed to take care of staff. Mm -hmm. So in my case, that would be 65 teachers, but yet I'm not taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not good for anybody. Yep. But we have this kind of idea, I think, in education too, that it's, it's such a calling and we just need to kind of grin and bear it and do it. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is as much as I absolutely loved my job, I had lots of days where I absolutely hated it because I Mm -hmm. wasn't doing the things that I truly love to do, which was being in classrooms, Mm -hmm. which was celebrating teachers, you know, just doing the things that make a a high school so great. And Mm -hmm. and because of the pandemic, all those things were taken away. Yeah. And now I was contact tracing all day Mm -hmm. and dealing with angry parents all day and still trying to do evaluations when I didn't even have the time to nearly get into classrooms like I did. Mm-hmm. And then people are mad because I'm not in classrooms any longer. I mean, this vicious just cycle. And I had yeah. two assistants in a building of a thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really, really hard. And yeah. I don't say that because I don't need people. I need I need other leaders to hear that it, it, this is what's happening and them to go, I had the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, like it's okay to say, embrace the suck. I mean, cause it sucks sometimes. Yep. Right. But I think we need to do more of what we're doing, what we're seeing you do. Yeah. And somehow we've got to put that in the forefront of schools, because again, I go back to as well. Um, I was, no, I was looking from a principal standpoint to well, why isn't the district office doing anything to support me? Yep. Well, g- guess what? They don't know They're, either. They're running in their own circles too, right? So it has to start from us. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? People have to speak it out. And I would also say, I think it could be both. I definitely think those of us who are on the ground, and I talk about this a lot, like do not be afraid. If you find a solution to a problem that your district doesn't currently offer, Do not Mm -hmm. be afraid to pursue that and then ask your district if they might be willing to fund that. I think we, like we've been talking about, there are so many new demands, so many new problems that education has never experienced before, yet Mm -hmm. districts want to operate 
and obviously I'm generalizing here. The I, districts, absolutely. Districts want to operate like it's business as usual when they a do. lot of the problems that we have now, we don't have the internal solutions for. So if it were, if if you need to go outside, if you need to hire an external provider or whatever the case may be, then that's what people need to do. Because at the end of yes. the day, some of these problems are really, really plaguing the field. So I think it's twofold. I think it is on us as individuals to seek out the support that we need. And when we find the solution to our problems to pursue that. And I also think that it's really important for districts to also be doing the same thing on behalf of their employees at large. You know, Mm -hmm. it takes a certain level of vulnerability to say, we don't know how to solve this problem, but here's somebody who can. Let's see if we have it in the budget to hire this person to help, you know, I don't know, however many leaders or however many teachers. Right. I think it's I think it's a a but joint effort seek, that's required. If you want to seek out a Kayla, if you want to seek that person out, mm-hmm. we want you to do that. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you find somebody, you know, I have people who reach out to me who, you know, they want to do the coaching or they want to do the mastermind or they want to do, they want to use your tried and true as far as that psychology piece because they're just about to break out with burnout. Mm-hmm. Like I think districts need to be very open to that mm-hmm. and pay for it. I agree. Because at the end of the day, through extra funding. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it, um, I think sometimes there's a conversation of whether or not something is in the budget. And I always say, like, is it, is it going to be worth it? You're going to have extra money in your budget if this principal quits. Is right. it worth it to have to spend the extra money to, get a new principal who's going to be able to do at the very least what the other one who you had to replace did, like which, you know, which is the lesser of the two evils? Is it more effective long-term for you to spend a little more money than anticipated or to rework a budget to provide the supports that you need to keep Mm -hmm. the people who you already have, who are good at their jobs in these roles? Or would you prefer for them to leave and then you have to pay on the back end? I think to a certain extent. Right. There's always going to be, whether it's financial, and when I say payment, whether it is financial or something else, there's always going to be some sort of of payment that is required. And I think that Mm -hmm. districts just have to be a little bit more open-minded and a little bit more realistic about what that actually looks like. Because an ineffective leader or a leader who is struggling is affecting your bottom line, just like spending money to support them. Right. would affect your bottom line, but you would yield right. much greater results. Mm-hmm. Return on investment would, is huge. Mm-hmm. And just to, there really has to be so much support for those building leaders because, and again, I go back to a high school principal. That's a really prominent job mm-hmm. because not only do you have your staff, but you have the community because a high school is usually, you know, it is the community. It, yep. it You know, so you're dealing with, Next to the superintendent, you're probably got the second highest, if not the highest stressful job at a high Mm -hmm. school level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what I see with my other high school principals and just the massive amount of burnout that they feel right now because you're you're pulled in a number of different directions. Do you think some people just are better equipped to not be stressed out? Hmm, That's a good question. I do think that resilience is a huge factor in being able to 
bounce back, that buoyancy piece of things. I do think that some people might be more naturally resilient than others, but Mm -hmm. resilience is something that anybody can learn. So Mm. I think to answer your question, yes, just, you know, at baseline, I do think that it is possible for certain people to be better at not getting so bogged down with the stress and the day-to-day demands as someone else. But I do think that everyone can become that. that person. Yeah. So you probably have a different resilience factor based on that human development and psychological background, right? Yeah. And just putting in the work, like instead of, because this is something that I am still actively doing instead of everything that I teach, all of these things that I teach are things that I am still doing every single day for myself. Instead of allowing the day-to-day demands to pull me down, even when I am exhausted or it has been a particularly difficult week and I'm feeling hit a little bit harder than I usually am instead of leaning to the side of, well, this is just, you know, the nobility of the job or this is just Mm -hmm. what it is. I actively push to foster that resilience, to keep that, to maintain that so that I don't regress. Because at the end of the day, even though certain days are hard, I much rather have a hard day and do the work to have a better day the next day than Mm. to just let everything go and go back to where I was five years ago. So, yeah. So when you're with some of the, some of the uh, leaders that you've worked with, Mm -hmm. um, what are some, maybe some success stories that you've seen come out of working with them? Oh, okay. I love that question. I think um, one thing that you have touched on that I have seen a lot, even though the majority of my work has been one-on-one, I often share with clients the experiences of other principles because Mm -hmm. I want them to know that they are not alone. It can be like we have discussed many times, the job can be very isolating and just even hearing through a third party that like, oh, she has another client who's experiencing this too. There's a certain level of of comfort Uh that comes from that. So in terms of success stories, I would say I had one client who had been a principal for three years before she started working with me. Um, I think it was three or maybe it was five. Either Mm -hmm. way, she was not a first year principal and she Mm -hmm. had never decorated her office because- There was always a part of her, not the time, but there was always a part of her that felt like I could be here today and gone tomorrow. That like, I don't know if I can actually handle this. And a lot of what we worked through was her, um, what's the word that I want to use? Maybe insecurity or her Mm -hmm. concerns about whether or not she could actually do the job had nothing to do with her capabilities and everything to do with her capacity. Like you have all of the skills You just don't have the personal bandwidth to do these things. You don't know Mm. how to take care of yourself in the way that you need to be taken care of so that you can be the leader that you know that you already are. Yeah. The leader that obviously your superintendent already knows that you are. Otherwise, you would not have gotten the job. Right. You're still here three years in. They like something that you're doing. Right. Um, So I think just seeing her kind of come to that realization, gain some skills, that she has taken with her and some of which she has also passed down to her teachers, which makes me super happy. Um, And the fact that she feels like she can stay in her job, that's like, and obviously that is not 
even something that is directly related to what I promise or what I guarantee clients, our focus really is on managing stress, prioritizing your health and well-being. But it's just a beautiful example of one of the many byproducts of being able to do that, your level of confidence in your ability to do the job in addition to improving your health. Um, I That's like one of my my favorite success stories I lo- because I it's rather that. unconventional. Yeah. And that trickles down to the staff. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we hear the term toxic positivity a lot, mm-hmm. but I think it, I think sometimes we don't know how to handle ourselves in front of staff when we're stressed out because we don't want to seem too woe is me and we don't want to seem too cheery. But mm-hmm. the reality is I love this, that she just learned some skills and then said, let me share these skills with you all. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard. And some days it's hard for me. And I think a vulnerability is huge for a leader to say, you know what? Sometimes the day sucks. Yep. And But here's what I did to try to help that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll help you. And everybody's going to be a little different with how they're going to... I'm sure you you find that when you work with clients, even though you're using a set thing that you've created... Mm-hmm the way they implement and do is going to be different to each one, right? Absolutely. Because one of the things mm-hmm. that one of the things that I am very, very intentional about, which is different from a lot of experiences that school leaders have had in terms of external PD prior to working with me, is that I am a coach, not a consultant. So we right. have identified exactly what the problem is, but I'm not coming in and jumping with in the, the driver's seat. And putting mm-hmm. you in the passenger seat. You're always going to be in the driver's seat and I'm going to ride shotgun with you. I'm not telling you every single specific thing you need to do. The the culmination, the ultimate result yeah. is all of these micro decisions that they make throughout the program to meet their specific individual needs, like you said, because every person is different. Everybody who is you know, there could be a room full of school leaders who are all saying that they're stressed and they all want to enroll in the program. But I guarantee you that every single one of them is going to have something in common and something that's completely different from the next person. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. So what do you say to somebody who doesn't want to invest in themselves or they're too scared to ask their district or they're just like, I don't have another hour to spend with you, Kayla? What do you say to them? Ooh, I would say first and foremost, you are always worth whatever you need to be your best self. I like Mm -hmm. to really, I think one of the things that is not officially part of the curriculum, but that I often end up having to work through with clients is one, reclaiming their autonomy. So many times Mm -hmm. it's, this is what you need to do. These are the deadlines that you need to meet. This is the curriculum you need to use. This is the benchmark that we're, you know, evaluating you on. And it's like just very, very, um, very, very structured in a way that kind of sucks the autonomy out of the experience. So in the yeah. coaching experience, it's the complete opposite where it's like, you have full control over this. You're learning these skills, but you get to choose which things you want to pick up, which ones you want to put down. If you implement something and it doesn't work, you're responsible for coming back to the drawing board with my support so we can rework some things. So I think the first thing, just reclaiming that autonomy and then also separating you as the individual from you as Mm -hmm. the title wearer. So 
I mm. think if you're if you're feeling like you don't have time or if you feel like you are too afraid to ask your district or if you want to pay out of pocket but you're afraid of that, I think one of the things that I I would just urge them to consider is what they need as an individual. Forget you mm-hmm. as the principal or the AP or, or the, the head of school or the mom or the wife, the wife or whatever. Or the, yeah. What do you as fill in your you name? Need? What do you Mm -hmm. need? And Mm -hmm. is this something that is going to benefit you? Another thing that I would encourage them to think about is because so often the clients that the kind of women that I attract tend to be nurturers. They are nurturers at heart. They thrive on supporting other people. And I'm like, okay, well, if you can do this operating at the level that you're at, imagine how much better you could be for yourself and for everyone else around you if you were better taken care of. I love that so much. Oh, that was a a mic drop. That's a great way to kind of wind us up here, Kayla. I love this. If somebody wants to work with you and, and learn this framework, which I think is really super wonderful of you to be doing this. And I, I wish I, like I said, I wish I would have had it. Um, how can they get in touch with you, Kayla? Yeah. So I think there are three primary ways that anyone can learn from me at almost any point in time. One is through live content. I have a library. I'm probably at the 20 hour mark at this point. There's a whole bunch of content that you can binge watch and actually take away something that you can implement. And that's across all my social media platforms, which I'll share in a second. The second way is through a guide. I do have a free guide that you can access on my website. And then the third way is through my coaching program, which is called Lead with Longevity. And it is for women in K through 12 school leadership who want to stop putting their health and well-being on the back burner, learn how to lead in a way that allows them to be well-served, um, and allows them to be of service without having to do themselves a disservice. So with all of that. <laughs> so the, the website is KaylaElise.com? Yes. Yeah, so my website is KaylaElise.com. My first name is spelled exactly how you would think. And my middle name is E-L-E-A-S-E. That's where uh-huh. you can find the majority of things. And then social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, as well as LinkedIn, my handle across all is I am Kayla Elise. Okay, I love that. I do hope people reach out to you. I think you said something earlier in our discussion about we stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. Is that you know for leaders like we mm-hmm. get right down to it? And yep. I'm going to end with I think that education is hemorrhaging a lot of really wonderful people, mm-hmm. and specifically for this podcast, I'm talking to leaders. And specifically for what you do, we're talking to women in leader in, in, in ed leadership. And mm-hmm. I think in order for us to stop hemorrhaging such greatness, we've got to stop the bleeding. So I hope that they will look you up, Kayla. And what a what a lovely uh, podcast today. I just I just love the work that you're doing, and so appreciate you. And I hope others feel like um, they can not be leading alone any longer if they were to get a hold of Kayla Elise. So thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. This was such a great conversation. Good.